welcome everybody to the Greenhouse Environmental Humanities Book Talk today. Uh, we're very excited to be having our 30th book talk uh, today. Um, it's very exciting to think about how we were able to use the pandemic, a very bad situation, to turn it into something good, I think, um, in the environmental humanities by having these book talks and being able to find out about the wonderful work that's being done uh, out there and really get an overview of the field. So today we have Kate Telcher, who is Emeritus Fellow of the School of Humanities at the University of Roehampton and a visiting researcher at the Royal Botanic Gardens Q. She'll be presenting her book, Palace of Palms, Tropical Dreams and the Making of Q out with Pan Macmillan in 2020. So Kate, we'll give it over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dolly and Finan. I'm, I'm delighted to be here virtually. And thank you so much for inviting me to talk about my recent book, Palace of Palms. There it is. Um, so what I'd like to do um, is just to give a very brief um, talk with slides to start with and then continue to talk face to face. So I'll start off by uh, sharing my screen. Um, and uh, here we go. So is that working? Wonderful. Um, so first of all, um, what I'd like to do is to talk a little bit about my background and how I came to write Palace of Palms. Then I'll move on to the structure of the book, which is a little bit complex. Uh, and then finally, I tell you something about these sort of intertwining narratives uh, that make up the book and some of the central ideas. So, I mean, throughout my career, I've worked at the intersection of literature and colonial history. And I've written for both academic and general audiences. Um, I've had particular interest in travel writing, in cultural, commercial, and linguistic exchange between Britain and Asia. Um, I've written in particular about India and Tibet. And then more recently, uh, following the lead of historians such as Catherine Hall and Sonia Rose, I decided to turn my interest about empire rather more domestically. So to think about empire at home. Um, and um, in this book, um, I wanted to um, again write for a general readership, but also a book that would be a contribution to cultural and environmental history. So I'm trying to do two things really, and it is quite challenging balancing the competing demands of writing both for an academic and more general readership. Um, and the, the narrative really has to take the lead uh, in a book like this. Um, and so I've kind of learned to sometimes stifle some of my sort of academics habits of analysis and so on, to, and, and, and to make this, um, a kind of character-driven narrative, or the frame at least, that. So, um, the Palace of Palms grew out of my fascination with the Royal Botanic Gardens of Kew, uh, Kew and the Palm House in particular. 
And for much of my life, I've lived in the vicinity of Kew and I've known the Palm House since childhood. And it's just such a stunning building. And it hits you um, right as you enter by what is now the main gate of, at Kew. It is just there. Um, it's kind of most monumental and ethereal. It's translucent. It's a kind of enclosed space rather than a solid structure. And it's also incredibly elegant um, and startlingly modern looking. And um, I think the experience of visiting the Palm House, I mean, perhaps particularly when you're a child is incredibly memorable because it's so physical. Um, it's really a kind of visceral experience that the heat, the, the smells, um, the sounds even, the acoustics um, amplify all the sounds. So um, it, it's something I certainly remember from childhood. Now the Palm House has for a long time and really right from the very beginning, or indeed even before the beginning, being the emblem of Q. Um, now this um, slide shows uh, the title page of Curtis's Botanical Magazine, which in fact still exists today. It's the world's longest running botanical periodical. Um, and in the 19th century, for some 40 years, it was edited by Sir William Hooker, who was the first director of Kew and indeed the man who commissioned the Palm House. And you can see here uh, on this 1845 um, uh, title page, you can see the vignette of the Palm House, um, which continued there for, 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 for a long time actually on the title page. But actually 1845 is three years before the Palm House was actually built. So it's still just a plan at that stage. And it suggests that right from the start, William Hooker knew that he wanted you know, to make this the statement building and the emblem of Q. Now, um, from the time that it was opened, it became you know, a huge visitor attraction. Um, this is uh, a print from the Illustrated London News of 1859. And you can see here with all, uh, all, all the visitors, it, it really is you know, a site of kind of polite sociability. Uh, and in fact, in this slide, as in many of the uh, 19th century illustrations of the Palm House, there, there are lots of ladies. Um, it's really interesting that um, and the Palm House and Botany in general, uh, it, it is appealing to a, a kind of female audience um, and uh, readership. Um, and um, I think the other thing that is very evident from these 19th century prints is the great theatrical display uh, inside the Palm House. It really was a kind of tropical fantasy uh, in this, oops, sorry, in this slide, um, you can see um, how, how dense it is. Uh, you can see actually um, the gallery, the viewing gallery, uh, if you can see my cursor just up here, it runs around the whole of the Palm House. And this gentleman is um, on the spot where you would kind of uh, indulge in a little bit of 
kind of tropical daydreaming. You are at that moment, according to all the guidebooks, kind of transported into this tropical fantasy. Um, and um, the palm house also formed the center of Q. Um, this engraving um, is based on a drawing by William Nesfield, who was the artist and landscape designer who laid out all the grounds at Kew. And you can see from it how the palm house forms the great centerpiece um, of the gardens. You've got the, the intricate parterre in the front and the ornamental pond. And then at the back, you have these avenues, three great vistas, one leading to the Chinese pagoda uh, erected by William Chambers, one leading down to the, the, the Thames, and this is called the Sion Vista, uh, and a third, which leads to a, a, a dramatic cedar tree. So you've got these three vistas, and it means that whenever you walk around the gardens, and, and still today, you're always catching sight of the palm house. It's just there, it is the center. Uh, and I guess one of the reasons um, why I wanted to write this book, um, one of the answers that I wanted to find was, um, you know, why, um, why it was at the center of Q. You know, why was it there? Um, now, when I started my research, I realized that there'd been some excellent books written on Q and imperial science. Here are a few of them um, by historians uh, like Richard Drayton and Jim Endersby and on uh, Botanic Gardens by um, the historical geographer Nuala Johnson. Um, uh, there'd also been a considerable amount of work on um, imagining the tropics, um, the European vision of the tropics by historians and geographers like David Arnold, um, Felix Driver, and Luciana Martins, and, and Nancy Steppen. And, and these were the kinds of books uh, that I was reading and drawing on, uh, all excellent work. Um, and, um, uh, but I saw that there, that there might be room for another book <laughs> and uh, one that focused um, on, um, uh, let me just uh, exit that and start to, um, sorry, I just need to e exit. Um, and that's, you can see you have me back fully. Yeah, you're back now. You're back, wonderful. Um, so um, I thought that a focus on the palm house itself would provide a way to talk about the establishment of Kew as a na national botanic garden and to think about the place of palms in Victorian culture and commerce. And when I first started to talk about this book with colleagues, um, I was met with a sort of degree of skepticism. They were saying, you know, well, is there really a whole book there? Can you write a whole book about one building? Um, but I really very soon discovered the issue was not the lack of material. I mean, far, far from it. I mean, really rather like um, the tropical display itself where the growing tips of the palms are always threatening to kind of break through the glass, smash through the glass. The challenge was how to prevent the very abundant material outgrowing its narrative frame. So you know, what I wanted to do was write a biography of both the building and its display. And because of the nature of Q, it was a narrative that would be both local and global. 
would be about domestic politics, about technology, because this was a hugely advanced building, um, uh, about commercial interests and about imperial power. And the book would approach Kew both as the site of public education and leisure, uh, a, a place of science and the imagination. And, and my task was sort of to bind this all together in a, a, in a person-centered narrative that would keep the reader's interest. So I decided to start the book at the moment when Hughes and very future sort of hung in the balance um, in 1838, very close to the beginning of Queen Victoria's reign. And the first five chapters detail the political maneuvers for the position of director, which um, was eventually won by Sir William Hooker, uh, who was appointed in 1840. Uh, and I explore the relationship be uh, between Sir William and his son, Joseph Dalton Hooker, who would succeed his father as the director of Kew. And these two um, hookers were foundational figures in the history of uh, modern British botany. Um, so they're really kind of key scientific figures as well. Um, and then I sort of rather shift the focus to that of the Palm House itself. And uh, the next section of the book, the next four chapters are devoted to the experiments, the challenges and the setbacks of the construction of the palm house. And it took four years to build and, and it was very new and there were, there were lots of problems with it. So that's the kind of the narrative of the building. Um, and then uh, in chapters uh, 10 and 11, I turned to consider the cultural status of palms and the great spectacle of the palm house display. Um, I also wanted to talk about the labor involved in keeping this artificial environment going um, because I, I wanted to tell the story also from below, not just from the view of the directors, but in a way quite literally from below because much of the work goes on underground. The boilers are housed in the basement. Um, there's an underground service tunnel with a railway where the workers have to trundle these great um, trucks of coke and ashes to and fro. And they're working in really difficult conditions and unbearable heat of the boilers. Uh, and indeed the palm house was very ill-sighted in one respect because it was built on this old site of a, a former lake and it was very liable to flood. So, and these underground basement rooms were were always being flooded in the winter months and for years they had workers under their manning pumps keeping the boiler rooms dry so it's both very hot and very wet um, and, uh, and and above of course it was all sort of this beautiful display but underneath the real work was going on and then in the final section of the book um, explores palm's commercial significance um, there's a chapter on Hooker's other very important innovation, the Museum of Economic Botany, which was the first museum to display plant products. Um, and it was aiming to sort of justify the utility of botany in commercial terms. Uh, and then I have another chapter which focuses on um, the visitors, on the public, 
uh, and public response to the Palm House. Um, and I end with a kind of a chapter that provides some sort of narrative closure following the later lives of the main protagonists and the association of palms with empire throughout Victoria's reign. So it's sort of in crafting a narrative out of these various elements, I was myself sort of also building a structure. Um, uh, I thought of the various chapters, each with their different focus as in some way mirroring the collaborative effort of the original endeavor. In fact, you know, I called the prologue and the epilogue opening the door and closing the door, in a sense, trying to give a sense of the building, going inside the building and, and then leaving. And the book was also, of course, a bit like a curated botanical display in that I had to decide what goes in and what gets left out. Uh, and I decided to focus on palms. Uh, it is, of course, the palm house, but there are lots of other palm, uh, plants inside the palm house, lots of other tropical plants. However, um, I, I had to focus on something, <laughs> uh, and palms are the star of the show, um, as they were indeed uh, in kind of the 19th century um, cultural imagination, really, of, of tropical plants. Um, and I, I also had to leave out um, non-European cultural perceptions of plants, palms by and large. Of course, though other cultures have far closer and far richer re relationships to palms. So this was really about the European view of palms. And you know, in the process of, of writing this book, um, I had to explore areas and disciplines that were entirely new to me. I had to find out, and really quite out of my comfort zone, I had to find out about architecture and engineering, uh, about the technology of this building. Uh, I had to learn the rudiments of botany, uh, and that I was really helped by being a visiting researcher at Kew, so I could ask you know, stupid questions of world experts. Um, and, and I learned a great deal in the course of writing this. Um, so, I guess I want to just um, talk a little bit about the uh, intertwining narratives and ideas. I wanted in this book to talk, uh, tell the story of the establishment of Kew as a national botanic garden and really about the early decades of the foundation of, of modern British botany. Now, at the same time, I wanted to tell the story of the creation of a building, uh, which was hugely innovative. It was one of the earliest prefabricated buildings. It was using um, wrought iron in new ways. It was spanning unprecedented widths. It was kind of statement building, um, a great triumph of technology, um, creating an artificial environment. I wanted to, to also talk about the European perception, cultural perception of palms. Uh, and I guess I started this story with um, the Swedish nat naturalist Carl Linnaeus, who um, called palms the princes of the vegetable kingdom, uh, the most beautiful and the most useful of plants. Uh, and they were closely associated with humanity. 
um, palms were thought of as all providing, um, giving uh, humans everything they needed for subsistence, food, drink, oil, shelter, tools, musical instruments. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, and in fact, uh, Linnaeus imagined that early humanity had originally been, and this is um, a, a wonderful term um, that is kind of coined by um, actually Humboldt who inherits it from Linnaeus and his translators, that mankind had originally been palmivorous, sort of slowly dependent on palms for, for survival. Um, and um, I really loved this idea and I, I looked into the various kind of um, ways that palms were associated with creation stories uh, in, in different cultures. And I focused on a few writers who contributed most to the European and British idea of palms, to writers like uh, Bernardin de Saint-Pierre in his novel Pour les Virginies, uh, Alexander von Humboldt uh, in his personal narrative of travels uh, to the equinoctial regions of the new continent, and then Karl von Marsh's um, with his Historia Naturalis Palmarum, this amazing um, three-volume illustrated uh, history of palms. And what um, I felt the, this literature was doing was creating a palm zone, um, in a great this, this band that encircles the globe, that unites spaces generally considered discrete in the geographical imaginary, that unites the Orient, the Holy Land, the Pacific, uh, desert islands, tropical jungles. This is a non-European space where you can play out fantasies of natural abundance and the return to nature. Additionally, I wanted to look at the 19th century commercial significance of palms, the various palm products, uh, and I look at several of them, but I can focus on palm oil, um, which first became an important commodity in the mid 19th century. Um, when it was used as an, along with coconut oil as an ingredient in candles, in soap, and importantly, as a mechanical lubricant on the railways. And the 1840s is the, the period when the railways were booming in Britain. Uh, and indeed, this is the moment that is the kind of the origins of our modern dependence on palm oil. So that's I was particularly interested in. And finally, um, I, 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 I wanted to talk about the palm house as a kind of wonderful um, assertion of the triumph of technology over nature, this ability to create an, an artificial environment, and also the, a, a grand assertion of imperial power. This building was stocked by all the colonial gardens around the world that sent uh, the plants to Kew. So I think I should stop there. I hope I haven't overrun. Yes, you're nodding vigorously. <laughs> and I hope I've managed to give you a sense of what I set out to do with this book. Um, I really see the Palmas as a kind of glittering prism through which to view the Victorian's actual and imagined place in the world. Thank you, Kate. That was really fascinating. And uh, yeah, creates this, this kind of like strange nostalgic feeling for when it was possible to travel. I mean, having been to the Palm House, <laughs> uh, actually several times and, and walked around those viewing pavilions that we, we saw in your photos. Uh, yeah, 
I miss those days. Those were good times. <laughs> so just a reminder, everyone, if you have questions, just write it in the chat. Um, I thought I would just start uh, off by asking if you could, I mean, you, you described this as kind of a statement building, like this, this very cutting edge, fancy uh, building. Uh, could you say something, I mean, contextualize it a little bit more within its time. I mean, A, how, how expensive was it in a way? How, how much work did it take to actually build it? And I'm not just thinking about the labor, but actually the, the funding of this, what kind of arguments were used? Because all this, you know, signal buildings also today, they, they do particular kinds of work. So that they, they're seen as an investment uh, in order to achieve particular things. Uh, so. Yes, well, absolutely. The financing um, of the Palm House was a, a big issue. It was, it was a publicly funded building. Um, and um, Hooker had to kind of make the case for its importance. It, it was funded um, kind of actually in tranches. Um, uh, Parliament had to grant the finances and, and there was always a concern that actually only, you know, only the central portion would be built because the, the money wouldn't be granted. I mean, it was also a time of um, austerity, um, of kind of, of where, well, of, of uh, where public finances were being scrutinized very closely. Um, I mean, what is, I found very interesting about, you know, the whole narrative of building and financing the palm houses um, is that it is uh, important to situate it in its, um, context in the 1840s and, uh, um, and to um, talk a little bit about the um, collaboration that designed the Palm House. Um, so it was a work of both um, a self-taught engineer um, by the name of Richard Turner, who was Irish and based in Dublin, and of an establishment architect, Decimus Burton, who um, had designed sort of many of the public spaces um, of London. Um, and this collaboration um, was a kind of both a, a quite, quite fertile and, and, and also kind of fairly unequal, um, partly because um, Turner is an iron founder, a tradesman, um, he, he, and he's, he's Irish. Um, uh, and uh, he, he um, is an incredible kind of uh, engineer uh, and he comes up with the new ways of using iron that made this building possible. Um, what he does is he's taking techniques from shipbuilding, um, a deck iron, it was called. It's a, a form of wrought iron that was used in iron shipbuilding. And he's, he's the first person to see its potential for structural use uh, and, uh, and the way that it can span uh, uh, wide expanses. That's really kind of worked out by an engineer. Um, the the architect um, who, who had a name for glass houses, Decimus Burton, um, made, uh, did not want it to be in any kind of particular style. So he made it kind of much simpler and plainer. Turner wanted a kind of Gothic kind of design, but it was Burton 
that makes it this pared down functional uh, design. Um, and, and that's what one of the things that makes it look so strikingly modern. Thanks. So we have a question from uh, Suchitra. Hello. Yeah, let's see. Uh, unmute you. All right. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Telcher, for a nice but brief paper. I have two questions for you. Uh, the first one being um, in your study of uh, tropical botany and wider domestic culture, did you find any traffic, any association of uh, these images moving on to, let's say, textile designs? That's one question. And the second one being, uh, is the figure T.N. Mukherjee, uh, whom we know as a Bengali literary author, very famous one, Troilokkonath, did he have anything to do with uh, uh, the, the Kew Gardens? Uh, hello, yes. Um, so the, um, I, palms and design and, and fashion, yes, I, 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 I was, I was interested in that uh, and, and did really kind of want to kind of do a little bit more with it than I actually ended up doing in the book. There was, there was a moment where um, palm designs did make their way into textiles and into dresses. And then I think there was even a, a color palm green that, that, that was a particular kind of green. Um, uh, and uh, yes, so I did look at some sort of fashion plates um, uh, that were that were that did feature um, palm designs. Um, so yes, um, of course, palms, as you will know, <laughs> uh, very well feature on uh, sort of the the textiles that, uh, made in India for export, um, and and so that they are they are and of course. The, the palmette um, as, a, as, 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 a, as a design. Uh, and I believe, but you would probably speak more about this, of, of, about the kind of the stylized paisley design of partly being um, based on the palm. So um, yes, there is a, a there, there, there was a kind of f fashion uh, for palms, but I didn't quite, in Texas, I didn't quite think I could make the case that it has, had swept uh, 19th century fashion um, uh, it, to that extent. Um, but you get, well, you get representations of palms in all sorts of um, different uh, media um, like uh, silver, uh, these, these great kind of, uh, to my mind, somewhat hideous centerpieces for dining tables made of silver with great palms and elephants and, and, and camels and things like, you know, really uh, represent, well, representing uh, the Orient. Uh, often these were given to um, uh, people who served the East India Company as kind of retirement gifts, so things like this, these, 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 these extraordinary sort of silver centerpieces. So there are uh, sort of, there is a, a, a you know, possibly there's another bit, book to be written about palms in, um, in 19th century uh, uh, artworks and so on. I, I did look a little bit also about uh, at palms, of course, in art, um, where they do come to, to signify the non-European uh, uh, 
and, uh, 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 and exotic, but they can, of course, represent such a huge variety of different uh, environments. That's what's so very interesting. Um, but your second uh, uh, question about uh, Tian Mukherjee, yes, um, there is a connection um, with Q uh, and uh, the uh, economic botany, the M Museum of Economic Botany. Um, this is uh, something that I've talked about elsewhere. Um, and, and Caroline Cornish, I think, has written on uh, Tian Mukherjee and, and, and the links uh, with Q. It's certainly something that, that that's worth exploring more. Thank you very much, Kate. Um, I was wondering, you know, kind of going on that about these palms and the way in which, well, British Orientalism then works, that palms can come from many different environments, first of all. So palms can be in deserts too, but that's not the environment, I guess, that's made in this palm house. So did they think, or did they end up bringing particular kinds of palms from particular geographies? Um, and, you know, did they transport them as fully grown palms? Or how, how did they do this to actually make a palm house? Okay, so the there was already a palm house in Kew before this one. Um, so the, so um, the, the original botanic gardens, which so uh, had been under a, a royal ownership and they, they, they then, then transferred to public ownership uh, in 1840. So the, um, the palms in the uh, small old palm house were kind of outgrowing outgrowing the, 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 the bounds. In fact, the, 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 the palm house roof had been raised to try and accommodate it, uh, but they kept on smashing through the glass. Um, and um, so, so some of the palms uh, were transported from the old palm house to the new. That in itself was a, a really elaborate operation on kind of rolling platforms. And they had to be dug out with immense care. They actually used uh, um, pulleys and lifting tackle, great kind of, as it, as it were, um, cranes, but 19th century ones that, that came from the dockyards to um, extract the palms from this dismantled palm house and get them onto the rolling platform, ro you know, roll it the, the, the slow kind of, I think kind of a half mile or whatever to the palm house itself. To, and, and then, um, levering them through the doorway and so on. So that, 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 that was partly just a moving operation. Other palms actually were donated um, by aristocrats because palm houses were, you know, uh, or great glass houses were generally the preserve of aristocrats. Um, one was donated um, um, from Lee Park in Hampshire um, by Sir George Staunton where it um, had, um, outgrown its, its original palm house. And it was actually, actually traveled by train. It was in a special wooden box was made to contain it and, you know, over 40 feet long. It was kind of packed up and traveled by train um, to Kew. Um, but many other palms um, came um, as, um, you know, uh, and were, were, uh, seeds and, and were grown 
uh, in the nurseries and uh, nurtured there before being transferred into the palm house. Um, really what I would say is that the um, uh, palm house was kind of complete tropical fantasy with um, um, plants from all over the world, plants that couldn't possibly all grow together in the same place. Um, so it, 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 it was really um, a showpiece, um, uh, I think. Um, these days, the palm house is organized by geographical region uh, and so on. But um, in, in the initial years, it was, well, it was organized and then reorganized various times. To start off, it was a very big place to fill. So they could only start off with a central bit anyway before they had enough plants to fill the whole space. Just to follow up on that, and uh, you say it was a, you know, a showpiece, kind of a, a display of, you know, a conspicuous display of palmsteads. So were there comparable palm houses elsewhere? And did it turn into some kind of competition who could have the most fancy one, some kind of like palms race? Uh, <laughs> um, one of the um, arguments about the need for a palm house was about national prestige. Um, and uh, there was a, a sense that, how is it uh, that, you know, a Britain with its empire is lagging behind, well, it was specifically behind uh, the Jardin des Plantes, um, uh, behind France. Um, who, the, the, so so um, why does Paris uh, and the Jardin des Plantes had, had some um, great glass houses um, that were earlier from the, the 1830s? Uh, and in fact, uh, Hooker um, dis, dispatched his, um, his architect, uh, Decimus Burton, when he was in Paris to go and look at them before the, this and, 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 and also his own son, Joseph, um, reported back on the Jardin des Plantes and, and thought that they had very good collection, a sort of richer collection of, of palms um, than Q at that time. Um, but that, well, the, the, the actual house, the, you know, it wasn't actually that warm um, and, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, they were not very healthy looking uh, and that they were covered in soot on the outside. <laughs> That's the other problem is, is the chimneys depositing uh, soot all over, over the glass. Um, so that the new palm house at Kew had its chimney a distance away. That's why the service tunnel was underground. So you keep the, the chimney which is disguised uh, uh, as an, an Italian campanile, a bell tower, uh, you, the chimney is, is um, far away from the palm house. You kind of wouldn't know it was there and it's not, you know, it's not going to deposit the soot on the glass. Right, we have another question from uh, Gida. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Kate, and thank you for this talk. Um, I was wondering, Today, with the palm house, how much they sort of um, how much they engage with the conservation of palm trees? If they uh, are concerned with extinction, because they have so many different species, I assume. Uh, so that's one. And then, if back in the days, if they also sort of took part in the conservation of palm tree to other places where they were not native, um, yeah. 
that's that's my question. <laughs> Thanks. These days, uh, Q is centrally concerned with issues of conservation. Um, you know, Q <clears throat> is really a, a, a kind of a scientific institution, and the, the gardens are a sort of add-on. Um, I mean, it has always been this place where both both science and uh, and gardens go 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 hand in hand. But um, so kind of the serious work of Q goes on kind of behind the scenes, and it 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 is it is centrally concerned with uh, conserving um, biodiversity. Uh, and palms are, I think, particularly threatened um, at the moment because many palms are uh, growing in particular places um, uh, uh, and endemic to particular sites, and 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 so uh, if that site becomes threatened, so do the palms. Um, so yes, um, I think uh, you know uh, the, the the palm house. Well, the 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 the, the, the palms in the palm house are sampled um, for the, the work, the scientific work in in mapping um, um, the the genetic material in palms. So that 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 that's that's kind of the, the use. I think the palm house is still you know for display as well, and there are. They're not there are some rare palms in there, but there, it's, it's also about um, being able to um, educate the public about, you know, the importance of um, the rainforest and um, bi biodiversity and, and to give us a sense of it um, as well. Um, so uh, it is, at, and I think that there are sort of some things that people expect to see in palm houses, you know, they expect palms and expect bananas and there are certain things that are kind of the staple of the display and, and those are, are kind of are there because that's what you go to a farmhouse to see partly. Um, and uh, you, your, your second question was about about conservation at, at the in the 19th century. Yes, so, right. So in the so when it was originally made, did they have any intents about conservation and about moving plants, you know, that kind of acclimatization of plants to, to other uses, I guess, really, that would be somewhat tied to this economic botany ideas, right? Well, Q was certainly completely uh, uh, invested in the idea of um, moving plants around the world, economically useful plants, not so much for conservation as for <laughs> exploitation. Um, and so, uh, yes, um, plants were moved around, around the globe and, 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 and often via Kew. Um, so that there was this whole network of colonial botanic gardens um, and Kew is at the kind of center of it, coordinating um, the transfer of plants. Um, there was at the time an awareness that ex uh, the plants could be exploited and could go become extinct. It, 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 it was, you know, it was beginning uh, to be acknowledged that there could be too much of a too much exploitation. And, and a case in point uh, was, is is the grandest of all the palms um, is the double coconut or the coco de mer, um, which is. Uh, is the most uh, immense uh, of, of, of palms and, and 
grew, grew then and now still only on a handful of islands in the Seychelles. Um, it, was, it was greatly valued um, as a curiosity um, uh, and, uh, and over-harvested um, and uh, was brought to the brink of extinction um, uh, in the 19th century and, and only survived really uh, because it, those islands were also kind of used as um, leper colonies uh, and, and they, so they weren't much frequented and so there were areas where these palms could still grow. Um, but there was awareness of this at the time. Well, that's an interesting uh, connection there to think about. Um, yeah, where you got your palms from, where you don't get your palms from, right? Um, what gets conserved and what doesn't. Um, I wanted to come back to, um, in your, your image, you showed with these ladies uh, wearing their dresses and going there to, um, to visit the Palm House and ask you a little bit about the gender and race dimensions um, at the Palm House, in particular thinking about the fact that the palms are coming then from tropical environments and the, the racial um, you know, image that um, I would assume that they came with or that visitors came with when they thought about these palms. Um, how does that show up in, in your story? Okay, yes, well, both very uh, interesting questions. Um, I suppose to start with um, the gender one. Um, botany um, was one of the few sciences that girls were encouraged to study. Um, and um, so there, um, there were quite a lot of kind of um, instructed books written for girls and, and, and often in the form of dialogues with kind of mothers or teacher figures, female figures anyway, instructing uh, girls uh, uh, about plants. Um, they sometimes um, had a, a kind of a religious ed, uh, emphasis to them um, because of course, um, I mean, particularly in the case of palms, which are so um, all giving to humanity, this is a, seen as a sign of a kind of benign creator who can provide for humans. Um, uh, and um, this is this is uh, a natural uh, a demonstration of natural um, um, theology and the idea that the divine creator is, is providing for for humankind. Um, in terms of um, the associations of palms with other peoples, yes, absolutely. Um, what the palm house offered was the public kind of the thrill of uh, a, a tropical environment without either the inconvenience of in, indigenous peoples or indeed frightening animals. Um, and, um, but, but the, but the, the uh, they are, 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 of course, you can, you can play at being an explorer when you go to the palm house. You can play at being a plant hunter as well. And it often guidebooks um, kind of, evoke or, or journalistic accounts evoke evoke those figures and and as it, and the absent absent peoples um, as well so yes um, 
of course, associated with um, non-Europeans, absolutely. All right, so Suchitra said she had a comment and if anyone has a last question before we end, they should come up with it now. Yeah, just uh, this is just a personal thing, really. But in India, we often use dried palm leaves as fans. And I had one, so I bought it along. So I thought you might like to see it. So this is what it is. And this is how we go. And these actually last really long. So this is how it goes. I don't know if the fan museum has any specimen like this, but I got it from India. I just uh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for, for showing us that, Suchitra. Okay. All right, so thank you for that. Uh, it did remind me that we have right outside of Stavanger, uh, even though we're you know, pretty far north in the world, there's a small island that has a very like, beneficial microclimate. So there, there's this family who over several decades now turned into this fantastic botanical gardens, very over the top with colors and everything. And they have palm trees also. So you don't have to go very far to find them for us. So, but thank you all for coming. Uh, and, and thank you to Kate Talcher for talking about her book. Uh, this was uh, very fascinating. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a great pleasure.